Welcome to Around the Table. The Elder Body has begun an effort to strengthen the understanding and teaching of our core doctrines. We'll be featuring some of the fruit of these efforts over the coming year or so. Today we start with the important but somewhat mysterious doctrine of the Trinity, something that is easily misunderstood and often undervalued. We've had the privilege of combining some sweet things together as we have studied the Holy Trinity. We've been learning from Scripture, we have been praising God Almighty, and we've been growing closer together in love and fellowship. Hi, my name is Tony Manns. I'm elder from Junction, Ohio. And I'm Tom Walbeezer. I have the privilege to serve as elder in Peachtree City, Georgia, as well as uh, Athens, Alabama, and Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm Herb Knuckle from Phoenix, Arizona. I serve there as elder and also in Prescott, Arizona. And the specific topic that we began with is the Trinity. As we think about describing God, one in three persons, uh, the word Trinity was coined. It's not contained in scripture anywhere. And yet the concept is very, very obvious in scripture in some ways. And in some ways it's rather hidden. So today we're going to be talking about that. Yeah, I think as we look at this, uh, probably one of the things maybe we should start with a little bit is just the importance that the elder body has found in us better understanding our core doctrine and spending time really studying and and getting to know um, about the core doctrine as well as being able to invest in our ministry to help them and to learn together, really, as we study. And so the Trinity has been one of the first opportunities to do that, and it has been a has been a joy to do that. Yeah, I reflect back just a little bit on our church history, and we have we've put a lot of energy into understanding some parts of our salvation, faith in God, conversion, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, but we have not necessarily put a lot of emphasis on what would call systematic theology, understanding just how. Various concepts of the Bible are best taught or represented. And we just acknowledge there's a lot of voices in our communities, voices online, that we can hear teaching. And we just have a concern as an elder body that we would uh, teach well, that we would learn well. And so we're just making some effort in these areas to to help with, with our, our ministry, understanding better uh, some core concepts, core doctrines. As we look into that, it seems like we have uh, a, a ditch on one side, if you'll allow the term, that uh, would be to demand understanding from God's word that God's word doesn't offer and thus stretch meaning into places that it doesn't belong. So part of our effort in studying core doctrine is to find out where that is, where we've actually reached a boundary line that the Bible is clear on. And then after that, we must acknowledge and accept mystery. On the other hand, there are things that are really clear that unless you study them carefully, you're not going to pick them up. And as a preacher on my part, the Trinity in particular, I've avoided for 23 years, um, not because I don't appreciate it or or even because I don't understand it, but it's really hard to describe. And I worry about hitting those pitfalls. And uh, this study with you brothers has been so enlightening and um, it's made it easier for me. 
I think as we spend time uh, in the Word of God, and first of all, it, the, the appreciation for who God is um, grows tremendously as we study this, any topic, but I think specifically for me, at least personally, this topic has, has really grown. The, the more we understand, the more we love and appreciate um, who He is and, and what He has done and, and how He makes Himself known. And I think also we'll get into this uh, some uh, here as we go further on, but just how that manifests itself then in the reality of our salvation and what how that plays out in each of our lives, just knowing God and, and how he functions um, as one God in three persons. So it has been a, a rich privilege. So how did we do this? Just kind of go back over our experience as we were studying together. We had times, uh, we did a lot of reading. We, we had times of reading, clearly. We spent our, our time reviewing early church authors. Uh, we spent time in the Word, obviously. Uh, we've, we covered the Middle Ages. We covered uh, recent thought. And just really getting a perspective of how humans have, have tried to think about God. Um, compared those various uh, weaknesses and strengths of the viewpoints. Uh, we spent a lot of time in discussion and processing through how it was affecting us. I think each of us spent time in worship and wonder and joy and thankfulness and all of those things. And, and through that process, uh, we came to understand uh, a little bit more about things that are uh, out of bounds in a ditch. And we also found uh, concepts that we couldn't fully affirm. We, we couldn't say this is exactly the way to think, but it's a way to think. And it, it, we grew through the process. That was just my perspective. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that, Tony. It, and I think one of the, and we sort of already alluded to this in what we have said already, but I think it just bears repeating is that, uh, you know, God is beyond us. <laughs> and no matter how much we study, we will not be able to put God and, and everything about him in a box. But as has been shared, it is helpful for us to understand where those boundaries are and, and where they exist. So I, to me, I, you know, scripture is um, the beginning and the end, right? For us, when it comes to that, we did study a lot of other things, but uh, it ultimately comes down to the authority of God's word and, and us de determining those boundaries from, from that. And there's some, we found some very beautiful passages some very beautiful scriptures that, uh, we studied and, and walked through that were precious already, but became even more precious, I think, as we studied them. One of my uh, surprises, and I shouldn't be a surprise, but, you know, we're in an information age and knowledge shall increase, the Bible says. And we think we know a lot, but you go back to the early fathers and read what their thoughts were. And those were brilliant men and how they looked through scripture and found problems with explanations and argued through them and thought through them, I was humbled. Those were amazing. And, and the dedication that they spent in God's word, trying to figure out how, how is God revealing himself? The other thing that really filled me with joy is that God is a mystery, as you said, Tom, but he has really revealed himself really nicely. He's made an amazing effort to show us who he is. And that really makes me feel loved. You might be thinking, what are we going to do with this? 
Well, I can tell you what our plans are. We have already uh, together, there were four elders that uh, spent time with this topic. And we've already uh, created video uh, teaching that we plan to use to bring our ministers along with us in the discovery path. Uh, the elder teaching resource already has a, a model of online courses where brothers from all over uh, our churches, ministering brothers, can get together and learn together. Uh, they'll do some reading. They'll do some uh, listening and, and watching of videos, and then they'll get together and talk like we did. And our hope is that over time, the understanding of core doctrinal beliefs will increase. Not that we insist on uniformity, but just better understanding. Brothers, should we jump into some of the scriptures that we found uh, helpful? And I think that there's so many. Um, I know when we were looking at both the Old and the New Testament, we saw many scriptures. And I, from my perspective, as we looked at the Old Testament, sometimes the Trinity was a little bit shrouded um, and became more unshrouded as we then look through the lens of the New Testament to understand some of those um, verses. But anyway, one, one of the most beautiful verses, maybe we'll start with this, at least from me sharing, and you can jump in, but is that what we refer to as the Great Commission um, often at the end of Matthew, the beautiful verses there where Jesus is sharing with his disciples and, and with all of us on, um, you know, he says uh, that we should go and, and baptize. And then he says this, he says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we see a very clear picture right in that um, command of the, the name, the singular name of God and the three persons, the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, just uh, the one who loves us and the one who calls us to be his disciples, to follow him, asks us to make disciples in the name of, of the one God in three persons. As we get into scripture, I just want to point out that the use of metaphor and analogy is something that uh, we as humans didn't dream up. God did that in the first place in his word, and he uses it, obviously, with amazing beauty. But it's God in his word that came up with the idea of the father and the son as an analogy to his relationship with who we call Jesus, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit. But the father-son analogy is something among many analogies, and humankind has used metaphor and analogies to try to grasp difficult concepts like that. And uh, the beauty of the use of that is truly amazing. But there's also a danger in that, that we can create analogy that just falls off the edge. And even a father-son analogy has limits as to exactly what applies and what does not. And I don't know as we go through scripture, how much we'll get into that and try to come to an ex explanation as to what I mean by all that. So as we've studied together, I think for each of us, and I'm going to speak for myself, our awareness of Trinitarian affirmation has increased. We see it in the Bible. Um, some are obvious, like 2 Corinthians 13 closes with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. 
And then there are many other places where there's perhaps a, what we'd call an oblique reference. And maybe I'll share some thoughts about that later on. But where we, we see evidence that in the Old Testament, something is attributed to the Lord. And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is put into that same phrase or that same expression or that same position. And so we can see that there is evidence of uh, Jesus Christ being Lord, for, exa for example. Starting right in the beginning of the Old Testament, we see very clearly articulated in the book of Genesis already. Uh, we talked about the verse in Matthew, but if we go to the Old Testament, uh, there's a number of verses there that uh, clearly talk about the plurality of persons uh, being present at creation, um, at the foundation of the world. And when God is saying, let us make man in our image, as one of the keystones of that, you know, we, we think of the singular God saying it, but he said, let us make in our image. And so we see references there to the... Uh, Again, oneness and threeness of God in creation. As we look into the scripture record in Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus being baptized. And if you picture that scene in your mind's eye, we see Christ standing in the Jordan River and John the Baptist is baptizing him. And then we hear this voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it's the scriptures making it obvious that it's a third party voice that comes into the scene. And then we see a dove descending and the Bible specifically states that it's as the Holy Spirit. And so in one place, we see three very distinct or here in the father's case, very distinct individuals. We see the Holy Spirit actually embodied as a dove like, like, like a dove, but the spirit makes it, or the Bible makes it clear that that is the Holy Spirit. And um, it's one of those places where it is very clear that our God is three distinct. And I got to be careful when I use the word distinct, but is three persons. Yeah. And so as we think of three persons, again, the New Testament, that's very clearly articulated. And we might think, well, as the Old Testament, it seems like the Old Testament is more focused on singular, the one God. Uh, we know the, the Shema where, you know, the Lord our God is one and, and other references to um, even in the, you know, Ten Commandments and others where it makes it clear that there is one God and we should serve no others. And so we might ask the question, is, is the Old Testament clear that there are three persons? And we've already talked about the plurality where it's referenced in the plural, but are they, are they specifically called out? And so there's, uh, there are situations where that is true. And um, I'm going to look at just a, a couple of them here. One is Isaiah 63, 16, where it's uh, clear that, uh, O Lord, our, our Father and our Redeemer. So we see clearly articulated the person of the father and we could attribute the the son there too potentially but uh, in this specific instance it clearly articulates the the person of the father 
We could go to Psalm 2, which is a, a beautiful psalm, um, and, and many psalms um, obviously also articulate the Savior. We think of um, some of the other Messianic psalms, but Psalm 2 mentions the Son specifically by that nomenclature, so we see, again, the second person uh, clearly articulated and laid out. And then we talked about Genesis, uh, but Genesis 1-2 talks about the Holy Spirit moving upon the waters as uh, an example, and there's also in in chapter 61, it talks, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And again, we see the person of the spirit uh, called out in the Old Testament. So we do see not only in the New Testament, but clearly in the Old Testament as well, the three persons articulated and called out. It's not our purpose today to try to go into various theories of how threeness and oneness work. But there are a few things that we want to affirm. We want to affirm that there is one God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We can see scriptures like that all over the Old Testament, particularly also in the New. There is one God. There is one divine will. There is one divine mind. The universe, uh, what existed prior to the universe, is not big enough for more than one divine God. So we want to affirm there is one God. But we also want to affirm, as, as you brothers have been showing us from Scripture, that there are three persons who are that one God. And they are mutually loving. They are mutually indwelling. And I'll pick up on that thought in a minute. And in some way, they are uh, interpenetrating in their Trinitarian life. So I said I would pick up on it. In the high priestly prayer, Jesus affirmed several things about the connection between persons in the one God. I'm going to read three verses to you from John 17, where Jesus said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So shared glory. Uh, verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So there's a statement of the Father in the Son and the Son in the Father. So that interconnectedness, even in the one God. And finally, in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So shared love in, inside God. So brothers, thoughts about that. And then I'd like you to share little thoughts about how that one God in three persons works in creation together inseparably. The first thing I notice comes to my mind in that passage is the word love. The, uh, the most accurate and useful definition of that word that we use and, and it's got so many connotations and meanings but the most important definition in my mind is the love that is other focused so one of the things in the study that really fascinated me was the realization that god is outgoing he's other centered and he's self-giving he is love the fact that the father could love the son indicates a, a very there's some 
some distinction between those two. And yet the, it says in that passage you quoted, Tony, that they are one. Self-love is not a very good definition of love. So as we think about God being three and loving one another, it's, it's truly, well, it's one of the evidences I see that's the strongest that the Trinity is real is that God is love and love requires another. As we reflect on that, just uh, again, brings wonder and, and awe and, and thankfulness. But uh, the uh, seeing the, the one God in the three persons, as um, you articulated there in the, in the high priestly prayer, and as we've seen through other scriptures, we see that they are uh, fully united. <laughs> they are of one mind. They are of you know one essence. Um, and all they do is um, stemming from that in, in all that we see in, in creation. So Christ's coming was, and we'll get into more of this here in uh, just a minute, but uh, we see that all uh, functioning as, as one and not as independent agents. Um, and uh, I think that's, uh, especially in the world we live in today with, such independent spirits um, is uh, such a temptation. Uh, we see the three persons of the Godhead fully united and fully in communion and in union. So I'd like to pick up another example, uh, example of creation, where as we go back to scripture, clearly God, and I think indicated by that scripture is Father, uh, spoke through his word. But then as we read in the New Testament, there's confirmation that without Jesus Christ, nothing was made that was made. And the Spirit of God was upon the face of the waters and caused some things to happen. And so mm -hmm. we can see how it's, it's easy to affirm that the one God created the earth. And it's also somewhat evident to us through Scripture how each of the persons was involved in the work of that one God. And we're going to get into that in our next episode. Uh, a little bit more about the uh, action of Jesus Christ in the world, the action of the Holy Spirit in the world. But for now, I think we just want to affirm that study of God, the concept of the Trinity has been beautiful. It's been inspiring and it's drawn us together in fellowship. It's drawn us together in worship and God be praised. Thanks for listening. Around the Table is available on AC Central and now also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Pocket Casts. It is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church.